from John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 29 through verse 37. The next day, John, it's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptising with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remains is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they turned and followed Jesus. May God bless this reading. Before we uh, consider this reading and the theme as we uh, prepare ourselves to share in the Lord's table in a few minutes, let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being present with us, your family. Thank you for being the head of our family. Lead us now in your word, in your truth, in your wisdom, in your love. We pray in your name. Amen. Friends, it would appear that most Muslim people around Indonesia think that they know all about Jesus Christ. Their Arabic language, Al-Quran, speaks often of him as Isa al-Masih, Jesus the Messiah. But unfortunately, a lot of their beliefs about him are different from those in our scriptures, which they are taught have been altered from the original form given to Moses and the other Old Testament writers. An original form which has never been produced and an original which I assume suits their dogmas and belief system. For example, about Abraham and Ishmael rather than Abraham and Isaac. But especially the dogmas and beliefs about Jesus Christ and his status and his saving work 
for all who believe in him. We'll return to this in a little more detail later. But friends, before I launch into what I want to share today, may I emphasise that remarks that I am making concerning Islamic belief and practice in no way detract from the generally happy experience and relationships that Errol and I enjoyed over all the years we lived in Indonesia with devout Muslim people. The Indonesian Muslim people lived, we lived among, as well as the strangers we met from day to day, generally treated us with graciousness and generosity. But that being said, let's today, as we prepare for the Lord's table, let's reconfirm how we see our Lord Jesus, especially as related to his coming as God's ultimate sacrificial lamb for all the world. Errol read earlier from chapter 1 of John's Gospel, John the Baptist's words concerning Jesus, even before his baptism. See the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This term, Lamb of God, has its origins way back in the Old Testament when we read in Genesis chapter 22 how Abraham killed a ram as a sacrifice to God in place of his son Isaac. When asked by Isaac about the sacrifice, Abraham answered, we read in verse 8, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. Then later in Exodus, we read of a lamb at God's command being killed or sacrificed and its blood painted on the doorframe of all the Hebrew homes in Egypt to safeguard the household from death to the firstborn child. Subsequently, the commemoration of that event in the festival of unleavened bread each year required each Hebrew family to celebrate a meal of bread made without yeast and also kill a lamb to be roasted and eaten together. Then in later times also a goat was also used as a sin offering for the nation of Israel on the annual celebration of the Day of Atonement. Now in a slightly different direction, many of you will remember, as I remember, last Christmas, before last Christmas, Pastor Caroline shared a very special and memorable message about the shepherds who received the angelic announcement of the birth of the Lord Jesus. She explained answers to the intriguing questions, who were these shepherds and how come they were able to find the stable where Jesus, along with Mary and Joseph, were. How they found it so conveniently. Pastor Caroline explained that these were probably no ordinary shepherds with no ordinary sheep. But being so close to Bethlehem, as we read in Luke chapter 2 verse 8, 
They were probably special priestly shepherds looking after temple flocks of sheep which would provide the lambs to be used for the daily sacrifice in the temple of God. In those days, apparently, most of the community's flocks of sheep would usually be kept and grazed quite a distance from any village. Then there are also certain details in the nativity texts and the prophetic book of Micah that give hints that the location of the baby Jesus was no normal stable, no ordinary birth, uh, birthing place, but a special birthing stable for the temple sheep. This would also be close by to Bethlehem. And this facility was used routine, routinely for the ewes delivering lambs, which could be checked and protected from injury after birth so they could be unblemished and ready for sacrifice as required. So what does all this mean for us? Simply that all the details of Jesus' birth according to the scriptures and what has been learned about these regions, the location and the recipients of the announcement to the divine provision of baby Jesus as the ultimate sacrificial lamb of God who was to take away the sin of the world and more specifically the sin of all who would believe in him, who would follow him. And so we come face to face with the reality that Jesus was born to die. As we read in Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, for each and every person in this world, Jesus came to die. And even the circumstances and location of his birth already proclaimed this principle. But we read in Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Jesus' incarnation, his coming to live with us, his sinless life were all a programmed prelude to the climax, his sacrificial death. And of course, this is what he predicted, as we read in all of the Gospels a number of times. How that Jesus already knew he was going to be killed. And the special meaning of that tragic event and this, of course, is the main thrust of the remembrance celebration that he established, the remembrance celebration that we call the Lord's Supper. Of course, on that original occasion of the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples were sharing the annual celebration of the Passover feast, 
which was part of what we called earlier the festival of unleavened bread. They followed the order of the remembrance meal as was laid down for centuries gone by and practised each year. But at certain points during the meal, the Lord Jesus used the serving of the bread and the wine to establish what we now know as the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. And this service was, as he commanded his disciples and indeed commands us all, to be a remembrance to himself. It's interesting, isn't it, if we think about it? Did he ask us to remember him in his birth? Though we are all very enthusiastic about remembering our Lord Jesus' birth, aren't we? Did he ask us to remember him with his beautiful teaching and words? Or his wonderful and loving, compassionate actions? No, he commanded us to remember him in his death for all the world. And in Luke chapter 22 and verse 19, Jesus instructs us to do this in remembrance of me, what we, what we shall be doing in a few moments. We will share the bread, representing his body broken for us. We will share the wine, the cup, representing his blood poured out for us who believe and receive it in faith. Now, unfortunately, it's especially these details of Jesus' death that the Islamic faith denies, saying, amongst other things, that Jesus was not the person who was crucified that day on the basis that even if God had a son, which they believe he wouldn't, doesn't, he would never allow his son to be killed, to die so horribly on a cross like that. Their faith cannot cope with even a prophet dying an ignominious death. But especially they cannot understand how we can revere Jesus as God's son. Whatever the deep and spiritual meaning of those terms are. And so any belief we can have in the world-changing reason why Jesus should live and die is totally undermined in their system. Now, all that being as it may, dear friends, let's focus now on our response to the proclamation of John the Baptist that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The crucial difference between the faith of our Muslim cousins and our faith foundation as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we respond? Let us, with thanks and joy, give our hearts in love and worship 
to God's sacrificial lamb who takes away the sin of all who will repent, turn away from our wrongdoings and sin. For he has taken our sins. And let us follow him who, because of his obedience, has now become king of kings and lord of lords, as we read about in the book of Revelation. Our Muslim cousins, so faithful in their worship, need to know saving grace of our Lord. They need to know Jesus Christ's love for them. They need to know God's awesome power, the power of love so strong that God would give us a saviour. God would sacrifice the ultimate and perfect lamb. In fact, his son, Jesus our Lord. And let us daily give our lives in constant obedience to his will as we patiently and expectantly await his coming, his return. And finally, as a more immediate response and a public display of this love, worship and obedience, let us more fully, more truly, more spiritually celebrate his memorial service, the Lord's Supper, until he comes again as he has commanded us. So as we approach the Lord's table, let us recognise that this is a personal but also corporate response action in which we together focus our attention on Jesus Christ's redemptive death on the cross of Calvary. Let us rejoice in the unequalled benefits and blessings of this atonement returning together to be a part of God's family. And finally, let us pledge ourselves to eternal loyalty to him who loved us and gave himself sacrificially for us. May this be our response today and every day. And may we, in our obedience, follow our Lord's commands and his direction to go forth into all the world, proclaiming him, our Lord Jesus Christ, to the glory of God the Father and the saving of many souls into his kingdom. Let us pray. We praise and worship you, Lord Jesus. You are indeed present with us today. Your spirit leading and empowering our worship. And we say thank you. Now as we have read your word, meditated on your deep truths, again we say thank you. We give you our praise and our worship as you have touched us this day. Lead us now as we share around your table, remembering 
you died for us to take away our sins. And again, we say thank you and we worship you, our living Lord. Amen.